politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Paul Revere's to the one and only Conservative Review podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house on Friday, end of a long week, May 8th. And boy, is it cold for May. It's going to be freezing here, literally 32 degrees tonight in Maryland. And May 8th is also a day that I believe, even more than December 6th, should be the day that lives on in infamy. As you guys know, this is the 75th anniversary of VE Day, Victory in Europe Day, the day our parents or grandparents' generation freed an entire continent and really an entire world from tyranny. They invested trillions of dollars, lives, sacrificed both the people on the front, certainly, but even people back at home, defeated two empires, saved an entire world, and saw that investment actualized into making America the world superpower. And I don't just mean the leader of the global world, but internally a beacon of freedom, prosperity, values. You see the grit and determination and the unified sense of purpose of a nation behind those actions against all odds in a relatively short period of time conquered some of the most evil, evil um, empires in the history of the world. And you know there was a lot of sacrifice. Even after the great sacrifice of Normandy, which we celebrate next month, which will be the 76th anniversary. But here we are. Ironically, it's 11 months after D-Day, just 11 months, lots of setbacks, the Battle of the Bulge, the crazy things that happened in Boston with the 101st Airborne Division. But they did it. It's really with much sorrow that we celebrate this, obviously with anyone who would be a survivor, which there are fewer and fewer of these national treasures living with us today. I mean, I, all the ones in my family are... are are in the next world. And obviously they can't celebrate the 75th anniversary in any event the way they celebrated the 50th anniversary. And I think to our generation, the juxtaposition, the dichotomy could not be greater. If that was the greatest generation, perhaps this is the worst generation. I have a column out today about how I believe one letter from the Pennsylvania Speaker of the House lays bare the entire lie of this lockdown that destroyed America. You see, we invested more money than even World War II just in a period of a few weeks. But we didn't invest it in something constructive. We invested it in destruction. We destroyed our economy, destroyed lifelong dreams of small businesses, We spawned an entire generation of mental and physical illness, delayed and inhibited the education of an entire generation's children, 
we have fundamentally altered the document and the documents that founded this nation. We no longer have a free society, whereas the trillions of dollars we spent in World War II and the sacrifice that we gave was placed into the ultimate victory for liberty. This is all being invested in tyranny and empowering a bunch of tyrants to supplant our society. When you want to ponder the enormity of the lie behind all of this, and remember, every lie that the devil, that Satan successfully imbues in the world latches on to a degree of truth. Because if there's no truth, it's very hard for that to succeed. There's got to be a little element of an optical illusion of black magic where you latch on to something that is true, but by completely distorting its context, you could destroy a world. Obviously, we knew from day one We knew exactly what this virus was. Ironically, there really is not much we've learned different than we already knew. There's a lot of fascinating microbiological and virology and epidemiology that we're still learning about rates of transmission and things that are still very relevant. And of course, our own government has done nothing in publicizing that information, and we're going to talk about the importance of that later today. But the basic top line that we knew was, yes, there is a, an element of this that can kill, like a lot of viruses. And there's an element that's particularly virulent if people get it. It was a very well-known, defined population in any statistical sense of the age, the chronic illnesses, what type of chronic illnesses, There's always outliers, but that's the way in any risk assessment with everything we do built into life, such as driving a car, which has devastating consequences, but we try to mitigate, we mitigate, we strategically direct our public policy and our social um, strategies to mitigate where the risk is and then go about our lives where the risk is very minimal. We always knew what, what it was. We knew it from the Diamond Princess. We, we had the data. But I understand if you didn't know, you didn't know. A week or two. But now here we are, eight weeks into this. And in many states, there is no end in sight. And even when there will be, what they are going to do now is they are saying that you need essentially no risk of anything, of anyone dying from this particular thing anytime. You need to test almost every person in a very cumbersome test every single day. And then those that are found to be positive from something that has already spread to tens of millions of people and for most are downright asymptomatic, let alone not lethal. Create a police state. Force quarantines. Take away children. This is literally an affidavit in... um, In... uh, Where is that? Oh, yes, in Washington, Washington state. But I think it's in many states. They could forcibly take away your children. And this is going to be the new normal. They're already talking about 
doing this again and how they're going to do it differently, but they're going to do it. Then now we have created such a low threshold to doing this. And again, this doesn't minimize the fact that the people who do get it in that version of it, and and this is what has fooled people because there is a particular version and it's very vicious. For some people, it's particularly a terrible death. But you know, we always use the paradigm of being struck by lightning. Like, oh, you're more likely to do this than struck by lightning. Well, you know, people are struck by lightning every year for those family members. It do, they don't have any solace in the fact that it's rare. Right? You know, but that's not a public policy issue. Okay? That is not a public policy issue. We don't run our lives that way, and you can't. You try to best mitigate it. You don't go under a tree. You don't go in the water. It's the same thing here. I want to read this to you from the Speaker of the House of Pennsylvania. Got a letter detailing the important up-to-date data in Pennsylvania on the state of affairs with the virus. Now, there's nothing remarkable about this. It's, it's true of every state. Except for New York, and even New York, it's pretty much true as well, just as greater numbers. And the thing is, there's there's nothing unique. I don't know why it struck me, but it was just the simplicity of it is so eloquent. The Speaker of the House there, and I'm assuming he had an agenda in putting this out, but he didn't editorialize like I'm going to do. He just put it straight out. And it, 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 it just it speaks volumes when you look at the enormity of what we've done to ourselves. And for what? 3,106 of our citizens have died due to COVID. This is Pennsylvania. The average age of those that passed away is 79 years old. To date, of those 3,106, 2,108 of these persons lived in nursing homes, personal care homes, and assisted living residences. That means 67.9% of those who died lived in these type types of settings. Of the 3,106 persons who have died, 11.9% had four comorbidities, 22.7% had three, 272 had two, 226 had one, and only 11% had zero. While these percentages only add up to 95.4%, these were the statistics that were provided to us verbally, okay? Of the 3,106 persons who died, 61% had hypertension, 54% had heart disease, 37% had diabetes, and 30% had chronic pulmonary disease. According to the Hospital and Health Systems Association of Pennsylvania, citing Pennsylvania Department of Health statistics, there were 37,000 beds in Pennsylvania hospitals. As of today, 2,572 of those beds were occupied by COVID patients, 6.95%. There are only 539 patients in the hospitals on ventilators, 1.46% of all hospital beds. Well, remember, we were told 15 days, we had to do this 15 days to stop the spread, to, to, to flatten the curve. And even those initial 15 days were actually not designed to be as severe as they took it thereafter. The idea was cancel Major League Baseball, cancel big gatherings, don't have even weddings or big events. That was the point. That was the only thing rooted in science. And even then, there was no assumption that we were going to 
really save many lives altogether, at least in a vacuum, but was that you didn't want hospital hospitalizations to be overrun. It became apparent that we have a good system compared to the rest of the world, and we weren't overrun even in New York City, and we didn't even come close to it anywhere else. We didn't need any of the field hospitals, any of the naval ships. But it was good that the president prepared them. You want to be prepared. Yet, this thing has grown legs to now. Everyone needs to be a bubble baby unless our spy drones made in China don't catch you sneezing in your backyard. What these statistics paint is what we see in every state. What we're seeing now is that in most states, anywhere from 60 to 85% of all deaths were in nursing homes. And even then, as we spoke about yesterday, there was a certain significant degree of inflation and conflation going on there of people that were dying of other things. They just happened to test positive for COVID. We always knew and 95 to 100% have underlying conditions in most states, or at least 90 to 100%. The median age of those who died in most states is either at life expectancy or over life expectancy. In Minnesota, it's 84. In Minnesota, you know, they came out with the jobless numbers today for 14.7% unemployment, but if you dig into the numbers, it's really over 20% because they don't count all the people that are unemployment that they're hoping to go back. So they're not really actively looking for jobs, right? It's only those who are actively looking for jobs that are counted. The problem is very few are actively looking because there's no jobs to be had because of the shutdown. And on the other hand, they're paying people so much unemployment. So you put the two together, that number is seriously distorted. But even with those distorted numbers, Minnesota is particularly devastated. Some counties, even under these numbers, are are 30%. Again, 85% of all deaths in Minnesota, nursing homes, as is true in my home county of Baltimore, and 92.24% with underlying conditions. And again, diabetes, heart, pulmonary. Diabetes, heart, pulmonary. Might be a few others thrown in, but this was very well known and what it took was like anything else in society anything that we're up against can you imagine the world war ii generation doing this and sadly we failed a lot of those probably those very people veterans uh nursing homes world war ii vets that were wiped out because like a bunch of idiots we decided to kill an ant with a nuclear bomb and didn't even kill the ant we didn't err on the side of caution. We erred on the side of obliteration. See, if someone comes in to the doctor with a brain tumor, it could be serious. I mean, anything in the brain is going to be serious. It could be very serious. It could be life-threatening. It could be more than a 50% chance you'll die, depending on the type of cancer. And there's different options and different ways of dealing with it. But one thing that is never an option is to behead yourself. Well, let me just cut my head off because there's cancer there. There are certain things you just cannot do. And that's what we decided to do. And that's what it latched onto. It's a very steep gradient, very bifurcated risk. It was always about that. 
We always needed the children to go first. Like I talked about with that town, that Israeli town that is a town almost exclusively of young children and how they achieved herd immunity. And that not only did no children die, but it shielded most of the adults, the vulnerable adults from dying. And everyone else needs a risk assessment, but we didn't do that. Remember, George Washington's army fought a revolution. This country is a product of a revolution fought during smallpox. We always say how our government is erroneously comparing this to the Spanish flu, which ubiquitously killed the young and healthy and at a much higher fatality rate. But you know what? Even then, they fought World War I successfully during the peak of it. What does that say for us? It's an utter disgrace what our governments have done to us. And that's the thing. We always knew this. We always knew where the risk was. And that's the important thing. What our government should have done, they didn't do. Like like my analogy. If you have one building on fire or two buildings on fire in a city, and you indiscriminately, rather than going to the buildings, you pour water over the city, you're actually much less likely to put out the fire. You have to hope that it happened to seep in there at the right time to those buildings. We don't have the ability, the social capacity, the emotional capacity to test every human being every day and contact trace every human being every day after this has spread to 50 million people, which is mathematically impossible to do anyway. But we do have the resources, or we did have them, to deal with the vulnerable population. We didn't. We pissed them away. It's coming out in all these states that didn't have enough for nursing homes is where they should have done this early on. You know one of the lowest nursing home rates of death You would never guess it. It's in Florida. That's a testament to Ron DeSantis' morality and priorities. I was proud to endorse him in his first House primary in 2012. Never disappointed since then. He needs to be president. But everyone else, they pissed away our resources for nursing homes on people that have a .005 case fatality rate or infection fatality rate. And then they downright mandated that nursing homes had to take in people who tested positive. You could not have conjured up a more backwards approach. We shut down schools where there is zero threat of their death or transmission or very low transmission. We shut down outdoor activities where there is no transmission. Yet study after study after study after study that it is now almost becoming scientific law about this form of coronavirus is that almost all of the transmissions are in intense and sustained contact indoors, mainly among families. And the next biggest thing is public transportation. We left open public transportation. We locked everyone down with their families for a long period of time, misleadingly told people to stay home that people that weren't smart enough 
thought that literally meant you shouldn't go outside. Somehow you need a mask even outside, which is actually more unhealthy. You could not have conjured up a more evil approach that not only destroyed our society, liberties, system of government, physical health care, heart patients, cancer patients, mental health, but probably wound up killing more people from the virus itself. Certainly didn't save any lives. So that's what that. And again, almost to a person, almost to a person, we are seeing the same principle applied everywhere. There's 10 deaths in Alaska. Even there, they're trying to pad the numbers. I see someone on Facebook wrote, one of my Facebook friends, or one of one of our uh, leaders of our Facebook strike team, by the way, you could sign up at Miniman Speakeasy. That's our Facebook uh, private group. I want everyone here to know that my neighbor from Anchor Point, who is listed as the 10th COVID death in Alaska, has been dying for months. He was in his 90s. His body was riddled with cancer, and his kidneys were failing. He did not die of COVID. Just want everyone to be clear of that. I know this for a fact. It's not hearsay. Hearsay, they tested him at the hospital, even though he had no symptoms, and he tested positive. Folks, again, people died. People died horrifically from COVID. But even among the elderly and cancer, remember, the, the, the fatality rate, and I'm going to get into that in, in a, you know, more detail in a minute, is remarkably low among young, younger people. But even among the vulnerable, it's 3-4%. And that's, that's terribly high. you got to shield them. You don't want to take chances and have them go out. And, I, and we've always agreed to that, which is why you need all the more so young people to achieve this. Um, this uh, degree of herd immunity. But the fatality rate is not 100%. And even among seniors, not certainly not as nearly the percentages among young people, but a lot of them are, like anyone else, they're asymptomatic. What they're doing now is the reason why there's no, the epidemic is over and the deaths are skyrocketing in all the nursing homes because, as we noted, thousands die every week in nursing homes. That's what they're unfortunately there for, eventually. And anyone who tests positive, which is essentially going to be anyone, once it gets in, it's going to be nearly 100%. It's going to spread to everyone. It's a lot more dangerous than the regular population. We need to secure that. But even then, remember, it's not like everyone's going to die from it. It's not even that everyone's going to get very sick from it. So they, they could have totally died from something else. Oh, it was a COVID death. This is such a fraud being perpetrated on us. It's not even funny. It's purely disgusting. It's purely disgusting. Folks, there's something more disgusting going on. When you focus on tyranny and you focus on a political agenda and not strategically targeting those that need help. We, two months into this, why don't we have detailed risk stratified assessment tables that have age, gender, demographics, race, and health status. And particularly which illnesses. So people could know. We need to know that. That's the one thing they're not doing. Because they would then have to admit that it's very targeted. 
You can't sit and have this panic porn and and teach everyone that everyone's going to die all the time everywhere. You can't have that. You have to be precise and be honest about the science. And now it's not even science. It's straight up arithmetic with all the hard data we have. We need to know that. We need to know that. I want to play for you a phenomenal clip from Dr. David Katz. He's done a lot of research on this. He's not a right winger, actually, from his comments at the hearing that he made on guns. I would think he's probably somewhat of a liberal. But he's been arguing exactly what I've been arguing, how this is counterintuitive, it's dumb. So anyway, they had this hearing in the Senate Homeland Security Committee. It was a remotely held hearing. And they had this one guy from Johns Hopkins, who's the left-wing view, that we need to contact trace everyone and spy on everyone and test everyone. And he talks, and David, Dr. David Katz talked about how it's not feasible. But then he went a step further and talked about what we should be doing that we're not doing. Take, take, take a listen to this. It is one of the best two and a half minute presentations of, of what the virus is and how to target where the vulnerability is. Take a listen. I think we need to ask ourselves, what do we need the data for? We want to know what percent of the population is likely to get this infection. Is it everybody who's exposed or is it one in five? So far, it really looks to be about one in five on Navy ships, on cruise ships and contained populations. Of the group that gets this, how many develop symptoms? Of those, how many need to be hospitalized? Of those, how many are likely to need the ICU? Of those, how many are at risk of dying? And on the basis of what antecedent risk factors? How does that shift with the presence or absence of hypertension, coronary disease, type two diabetes, body mass index, and other factors. When we think about the utility of data, we really aren't bogged down with testing millions of people. We need a representative random sample large enough to give us that actionable information. That's much more doable. We have the resources to do it now. It's proximal, it's the work of several days. And if the goal of getting data is not just to say, look how much data we have, but look what we now understand to inform policy, representative random sampling will do. The other thing I wanted to say is that there's an alternative to contact tracing. And that is to say, we identify people at higher risk and we carefully protect them from exposure to the virus. And people at low risk, we actually expect the virus to circulate. So contact tracing in that group almost defeats the purpose of saying low risk people, if we're ever going to get our lives back and not be on the indefinite timeline of maybe there will be a highly effective vaccine mass produced, actually need the virus to circulate among people who can safely get it, get over it, make antibodies, which historically, before the advent of highly effective vaccines, was how pandemics ended, immunity developed. But what we can do now, artfully, is say there are people who cannot safely get through this infection, we'll protect them. There are people who can, they can go back to the world. I think contact tracing at scale in that group is not likely to be helpful. And I think we should do better than contact tracing for the high risk people over 70, people over 80, people with a a large burden of chronic disease. We need to double down on protecting them so they're not exposed until we can document with ongoing, at least random sampling, that viral transmission is near zero, that a high level of protective immunity has been achieved. And then basically everybody's grandparents can hug their grandchildren safely again. Folks, listen to that over and over again. It was really amazing. So we already know, we know with, I mean, certitude of, you know, 100% error-proof data now of exactly who this targets in any statistically meaningful sense 
in terms of public policy. We know that. But the idea should be to get people's lives moving, not shut people down. We gave the CDC tens of billions of dollars. How have they not done what he talked about? A massive serology test of antibodies who in America and have a full representation so we could really delve into the age brackets, really delve into it. Folks, I had a baby. You know, my parents live close by. They're 70. They don't have any of these chronic conditions. So, you know, we know their risk is more elevated than, let's say, mine is. But I don't know, is the guy 58 with diabetes and cardiovascular issues a lot more vulnerable than a 70-year-old without it? Could be, probably. But exactly what type? We should have those answers. We've spent trillions of dollars in time doing everything but what makes sense to do. Like anything you do, you have a, a full scientific representative sample. You don't want to have 3,000, make it 50,000. We have the resources. What we don't have the resources is to do testing and contact tracing for everyone every day in order to let them go out of their bubble baby. It makes no sense. The ones we know for sure should go out, and then we need to start chipping away. I don't, I don't, I forgot where it was in that hearing. If you want to watch, I mean, the whole hearing is almost three hours. It's online at the Senate Homeland Security Committee website. But anyway, he, he said something really beautiful that really um, just just hit home with me. And, and he noted, I'm just paraphrasing, that you know there's a lot of people, even seniors, that they might be towards the end of their lives. They're never going to hug their grandkids again. They need to know, is that rooted in science? People don't know. I mean, you guys who have been listening to me, and I, I've, I have studied this issue more than I've studied anything in my entire life, and you, you well know how certain issues I, I drill down pretty deeply into. And there's stuff that is so obvious if you took samples. There's no way CDC hasn't done this. The answer is they don't want to publish the data because it would reflect the data that I'm going to talk about and which we've been talking about all week that it is very targeted who this targets. We need to know that. I want to share with you a story. I still have a lump in my throat from it. And I'm sure a lot of you could relate. So um, I, I can't believe it, but my niece had a, had a baby boy last week. Uh, man, you know, I'm not even uh, out of my 30s yet. Got some gray hair and I'm already a great uncle. How about it? Baby's having a baby. I don't know what's crazier, her being a mother or my sister being a grandmother. But uh, either way, so they had, they had a baby boy. Um, you know, pursuant to the most foundational Jewish custom, they have a circumcision ceremony on the eighth day. You know, literally the second positive precept in the Bible commanded to Abraham. It's been practiced ever since then on the eighth day. And usually it's done in a synagogue, some places in a hall. You have a nice event. It's a very, one of the milestone family events. And now they're not having any of them. And they just have the guy who, the medical uh, technician who does it in the, in the home and the parents, and that's it. And they post it on Zoom and everyone kind of shares in and maybe someone speaks and you could virtually eat. 
And, you know, it, it was a very emotional event because it's very sad. The grandparents not there. There's great grandparents, too. There's actually one great, great grandparent on one side. It's a very young family. Um, and, you know, my sister is there with them. She, uh, you know, she stayed home for, for two weeks and went and then, then went there. She knew that she was going to have a baby. So obviously she timed it like that. But on the other side, evidently the grandparents haven't even seen the kid. Now, mind you, you know, this is a young family. Now they are, that side is younger. You know, my sister is, she's in her mid forties. Um, you know, so this was her first daughter having a daughter, having a son, but they both kind of got married on the young side and had kids young. So she's a very young grandmother. They are older, but they're in their fifties. They're not in their sixties or seventies. They're in their fifties. And my understanding is they haven't even seen the kid at all, at all. I, I don't even think from just like six feet away outdoors, you know, and and let me make it very clear. I am not blaming anyone or criticizing anyone for going too far. What I, what bothers me is getting back to Dr. David Katz's point, how we are so far into this and the media and the government has created one undiscerning, unstratified, untargeted bomb of panic porn that everyone's going to die in every situation. And I started talking to people and I was like, no, I was like, look, I'm not, I'm not pushing my view on you. I'm just saying like study after study shows there's almost no risk of a kid transmitting to the parent. Now I was, so I was working off the assumption that they knew the first step, which is that the, the baby is in no danger. And in fact, even CDC, it's, it's plain black and white, not just infants, but all children under 18, they say there's a lower risk than the flu, lower, 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 but they're not publicizing it anywhere. And it's not, you know, it's lost in the panic porn. But I realized that they think that even, no, it's a danger of the parent. I don't want to touch the baby. The baby's going to die from COVID. And that is literally a scientific law at this point. They are more likely to die from every other thing that a baby dies from, certainly SIDS, but, but even the flu, than from this. But I don't blame people for not knowing. You wouldn't know that. Where would you know that from? That much we know. But it's very important how much of a risk, in what settings, how to do it. They're not putting, shut up, stay at home forever, listen to us, spy on, we're going to spy on you. I'm sorry, that's unacceptable. That's not an answer. That's not what God wants from us. It's not rooted in morality. It's not rooted in compassion. It's not rooted in science. And it's not rooted in simple arithmetic. Simple studies. You wouldn't even need complicated studies. There's no way they don't have that data now. You know, you want to know if you're in the 50s, what, what, what conditions, what is it? And that's why in other countries, in Europe, they're now giving guidance. Grandparents could hug their kids under 10. Kids certainly don't have an effect and kids aren't going to transmit it to you. We need to know that at some point. At some point. You know, it's funny. Some people have asked me, why is it that America now seems more fascist even than Europe? And I think that the point is Europe already, there's no freedom movement there. You know, it's already socialism. So governments don't feel a need to totally use this as a cathartic moment to, you know, to create socialism because they got what they need. They have control. So now they, they don't want to destroy their civilization. So they're actually 
trying to follow the science more. If you noticed, all of their epidemiologists are much better. Whereas in America, it's so political because we still have this left and right fight. Trump is present and he's perceived as fighting for the opposite side, even though everyone in his White House is actually pushing the opposite direction. But I digress. And therefore, they're fighting to the death to lie, cheat, steal, and deceive and do everything they can to abuse, emotionally abuse an entire generation of people with lies. Again, it's not, you know how I feel on this. You know my evolution. Not evolution, because I was consistent. But how I've covered this from day one in January. And I took it seriously in the right way to say we should shut off international travel early. And the right measured approaches. This is unacceptable. I want to talk about data and arithmetic a little bit more. There's someone named Mitt Romney, as you all know. He now carpetbagged to Utah, became senator. So at the same hearing that I'm referencing, Senate Homeland Security Committee, he gets on very smugly. And he's like, basically starts saying, well, you know, actually, the actions taken to close down the economy, we, if not for that, we would have had 2 million dead. So repeats that lie. Then he insinuates that the death rate is really as high as the experts claimed. But just because we followed their advice, it was lower. Then he wrongly claimed that deaths outside New York area are going up when it's not true. Next, Romney posed the following question to Stanford professor John Ioannidis, who obviously opposes the panic porn, and he is on the right side of history and science and law. And Romney is like, he very sarcastic. He's like, you know, I don't understand. There's conflicting data. On the one hand, we're seeing, yes, you're right. And these prison studies from the southern states, it seems like, you know, there's a lot that are asymptomatic and so many more really have this. And therefore, the death rate is really much lower. But then on the other hand, quote, and this is a direct quote. On the other hand, I look at the data that comes from the meatpacking facilities. The number of people who died, likewise, grocery store stocking clerks. I mean, a normal flu, you don't have dozens of people die who are stocking clerks. You don't have dozens of people die who work in meat processing plants. What accounts for this phenomenon? And the funny thing is, notice the asymmetry. So on the, on the side that shows low fatality rates, he, he cites real serology tests and real hard data from entire prisons where everyone was tested. And we have an entire confined and defined universe of a numerator and denominator. And then the other side, he cites media stories and dozens of people, which is nothing compared to the people who have it, and anecdotal evidence. Well, actually, we have the evidence. And you know what's funny? If you look at the death rate of broadly young populations, meat workers, grocery store workers, mainly younger, prison populations, federal and state, ICE facilities, detention facilities, and naval ships. You see, it's almost eerie how the fatality rate is exactly the same. It's likely well below 0.1 for most people. And the few people who die always fit the same, same description. So let's unpack this. Simple arithmetic. From the latest data, we have roughly 40 feet, 45 meat packing workers have died of COVID-19. And, and again, all of these numbers, we don't really know. Most of them clearly died from it. 
but there, there's always a bit of inflation because again, they're, they're, it, it, it's self-fulfilling. They in their mind think this is much rarer than it is and therefore it's more deadly than it is. Therefore, if you have someone who tests positive and they die, even when there's other things going on, they automatically assume it's from that. But if really it's across the board, much, much more common and therefore the fatality rate is so much lower now even the ones you think are dying you really have to double check that again i'm not saying no people died from this some died horrifically most prominently in new york city but it's somewhere in the order of i would bet rather than seventy-five thousand, it's probably somewhere more like fifty thousand. and pretty much outside of new york city outside of nursing homes if you're outside of New York City and you're outside of nursing homes, it very few died. And the ones that did were very, almost to a person, there's always statistical anomalies. Very defined population. But anyway, 45 meatpacking workers died. Now, how many meatpacking workers are there in the country? Now, there's about 500,000 workers in meat and poultry. Now, I'm not going to use such a broad universe. There's approximately, because let's take chicken out and assume all these were meat. There's approximately 144,000 meatpacking plant workers and 119 in meat processing. Now, let me assume all these 45 were in meat packing, not meat processing. But I don't know that to be true, but I'm, I'm playing it very conservative. Okay? So we're going to use as the denominator... 144,000, not more like 300,000. What's what's unique here is Romney was like, prisons are much less. Actually, 45 died out of 144,000 workers. Did you know there's almost exactly the same number of people, 146,000, almost exact, in the federal prisons? 44, as of yesterday, 44 people died. (laughs) I mean, folks, on the money, on the money. I mean, this guy is illiterate. He just, he makes stuff up. And likewise, approximately 218 people died in state prisons out of 1.2 million, even though the number seems a lot to 18. It's actually a lower fraction in state prisons. But, you know, it's all very low. So far, we know over 10,000 workers have tested positive. So even if you just did the fraction of 45 divided by 10,000, that's 0.45. But it's much, much lower than that. Because here's the deal. Those are just the people we tested. As everyone is saying, once it gets into a meatpacking plant, they're all there for long hours, very terrible ventilation in close context. They're going to get it at like, like the prisons, like the ships, like everywhere. Take Triumph Foods in St. Joseph, Missouri, for example. 412 out of 2367 tested positive. So they tested the entire universe, 17.4% infection rate. All of them, everyone was asymptomatic. Zero deaths so far. So zero out of 412. But we really know that globally, it's much more. There were four, the Des Moines Register uh, said on, I believe it was Wednesday or Tuesday, they reported that four plants tested every single worker. So you have an entire universe now. Their infection rates were as follows, 58%, 39%, 26%, and 17%. So you see some of them got as high as 58%. 
I don't see reports, at least in the public, of a single fatality from one of them. They would have said. In Indiana, a Tyson's plant, 890 people tested positive. That is 40% of the plant. And nobody has died so far. Now, you do have some plants where people did die. But out of the 100, where is our denominator? Again, 144,000 workers, and that's a really a very small subset. That's just meat packing. You have almost as many meat processing than you have the poultry ones. But, okay, meat packing. Okay? So how many do you think got the virus, and then, therefore, how many who got it died? We don't know. We don't have that answer yet. But I think from what we see, a conservative estimate of 25% would be very reasonable because you could easily go above that given how many are asymptomatic and we don't even know and we're not even catching them. And also, just just remember, these are not serology tests. These are not antibody tests. These are only the people who currently have it. But this thing we know has been spreading, I mean, for like wildfire for two months, but really in earnest for four months. And we know that once it gets in there, it's in there. So a lot of them could have already recovered and they would have tested negative on um, a PCR test. But if you would test their antibodies, you see they would they, they actually had it. So 25% for those reasons is actually very limited. But but I, I keep it at 25% because what the way I view meatpacking plants are, they're not exactly like prisoners that are 100% locked in 24-7. They do go home at night. It's not a prison. They're closer to prison staff and ship and shipmates who they're not, they're free. They're not locked up, but they're in confined spaces most of the time. So the rate on those things have consistently been about 25% from prison staff and ships. We have a lot of good data on that. So if you take 25% of the 144,000 number to get the number of people infected, very, very conservative, you will get and a mean infection rate of 0.125% in fatality rate, point, basically 0.1, close to 0.1. That's, that's the benchmark given for the flu. Okay, 0.1, 1 in 1,000. Now again, 0.125, that's what it seems to be. But even the 0.125 is lopsided because you go and almost to a person, almost to a person, guess who dies? Well, Daniel, that's a very young population. So it's a lo- yes, that's my point. But there are some exceptions. There are older and or sicker people that work there. And incidentally, all the deaths, you look at them. So James Tadaro, we had him on the show, MD. We had him on the show earlier um, this week. Um, 80% of the meat plant, plant worker deaths, he said, he looked into this, were over 60. And if you drill into them, you will find they're not just regular people over 60. For the most part, they had very specific conditions. And again, it's remarkable. The USS Theodore Roosevelt, a ship, it's confined There are about 4,600 people on that aircraft carrier. 1,102. Everyone was tested, so you have an entire universe. 1,102 tested positive. 
Now, again, I don't know if they ruled out through antibody serology tests, did they rule out what if someone got it before but was already went over it? I'm not sure. Because again, given how many are asymptomatic, so the ones that knew are like, look, I'm sick, I'm coughing, they come, they get taken care of. The ones that are asymptomatic, so yeah, in that case, they tested even then, they tested everyone, but they would they could have they could have gotten six weeks earlier and 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 it would not have shown up in the in in the, in the test. So it could be even more than that. It's at a minimum, bare minimum, eleven oh two people got it. Okay, it's aboard a ship. You see that that that's you know close to twenty five percent infection rate. One person died. One in eleven hundred, slightly below point one. Again, young population. That's my point. That's how you break out a young population. And again, I don't know the nature of that one guy who died. I don't know. An entire prison, as we noted earlier this week in Tennessee, was tested. 1,300 cases. About 53% of the prison got it. So in a prison, it's going to be higher. One death out of 1,300. The guy was 67 years old. He was an anomaly because most people in prison aren't that old. I don't know his conditions, but if I were a betting man, you know, he wasn't like, you know, a healthy 67 year old. And I, and look, don't get me wrong. There's, I mean, a good percentage of people that age have one of these conditions, but again, it's not everyone. Notice how the numbers are converging perfectly. Let's go on to ice. There are 30,000 detainees in ice facilities. We don't know how many have it yet, but among those who have tested positive, they, they have about seven, 800 positive tests. 60% seem to be testing positive. And, and by the way, there I happen to know they're specifically targeting, I was told, the ones that were symptomatic. So certainly there's, there's a whole pile that's in there as much more. Until now, I've been telling you there are zero deaths. Well, yesterday they came out, there was the first death in California. The guy is 57 much older than the ICE population, which is very young. They're in their 20s, usually. 20s or 30s. Not terribly old. But guess what? Turns out, the guy... Listen to this. The guy had so many diabetes surgeries, he was left without a right foot. And he had hyper, serious hypertension. So he had all the criti- you know, the known specific chronic illnesses that for whatever reason, the coronavirus attacks those systems very severely. And from what I heard from ICE, if you so the media is saying ICE confirms first COVID death, that's not true. They the media is saying that ICE says if you look at the press release, it's yet to be determined. And they told me that I spoke to one of them, and they said this is the it's a microcosm of what we're seeing throughout the country. I mean, this guy was very sick. You know, you don't you usually don't die nowadays at fifty seven, but people like that often do. You don't know it was from that. You don't know even this guy. So that's what I'm saying. Even if, I mean, even the numerator is very questionable now. But even if you take their numerator, but if you get the proper denominator, you will see. And we already see it from hard data where we have denominators. The young and healthy is well below 0.1. Almost everyone who dies is the defined population. If you take the population as a whole, it will wind up being either 0.1 or you know maybe that you know in the more general population point 2 and again i want to point out some other things here that remember you know 
these are prisons, meatpacking plants, the ships, the ventilation is horrible. There was this theory that it could be you would have a, a worse of a viral load, um, meaning not just more likely that you're going to contract it, but qualitatively, you're going to get a more virulent version of it. There was this theory. I'm not saying this necessarily disproves it, but if anything, you would, you know, according to what they're saying, you would think this might be worse, an even higher death rate. Also, it's important to keep in mind that for whatever reason, we we seem to see that um, blacks and Hispanics, I mean, this is from CDC and New York City data, almost twice the death rate of um, Caucasians and, and Asians, people of Asian uh, genetics. And if you look at prisons and, I mean, ICE is, is predominantly Hispanic. You look at prisons is overwhelmingly black and then Hispanic, um, disproportionately so. Um and then you look at meatpacking plants. Well, I mean, it's mainly illegal aliens working there. And we all know um, they're either Hispanics or Africans, actually. A lot of Somalis, Congolese, Sudanese. Um, so you get the black demographic, which has been very hard hit. So you see how remarkably low those numbers are among young people, even in the more vulnerable, at least racial stratification. Again, why am, why am I, I, I am, I am, I am dumb as anything in science and math. Okay, I, I I don't know anything. I don't have any degrees. I'm not good at higher math. But folks, this is simple arithmetic. But the but the answer is it's not that these guys don't know it. They do know it, which is why they're not putting out data. Because if they had data conflicting, mine, you sure as hell would know about it. They know it's true. But COVID fascism, Corona fascism, has become a religion. They have sunk their teeth in that. They have found the impetus to enact and remake our country in their image in every way imaginable, they are not going to let go without a fight. I just want to finish my data here. Um, Grocery workers. So he said grocery workers died. There's no clear count. The New York Times notes there's no clear count, but as of April 29th, the United Food and Commercial Workers International Union reported 32 deaths among grocery store workers 32 do you know how many workers there are in the country 2.5 million grocery store and supermarket workers now i have to assume that when the union puts out 32 they mean union members okay so let's just be conservative here and the union members are um are less I forgot what number I used. It's some order or less. Okay. You come out with an infection rate of point zero, uh, fatality rate of 0. 0.05. That's a half of 0. 0.1. Okay. A half of 0. 0.1. All right. That's one in 2000. Folks, you, you, you can't do this. And I want to leave you with one parting thought. One parting thought to cap off this terrific week of production here at, at, at Blaze Media. And that is, Mitt Romney seems very, very concerned about human life, right? He's very concerned about the virus, takes it very seriously. Do you know that not only did Mitt Romney oppose the effort to shut off travel from China so we don't initially bring it in in January. He criticized Trump after shutting off travel from Europe in mid-March after we saw Lombardi. 
when we had the ability to at least at the front end affect the the concentration at the front door of how much we're going to let in to somewhat stuff it in the in the hole when it would have actually made a difference to mitigate it and would have been so much less invasive because you're you're shutting off immigration and foreign travel where there's no fundamental rights it's it's going to you know it's going to take a bite out of the economy but nothing like what we did domestically in our own homes in our own schools in our own wor- place of work and places of worship but now when it comes to after the virus is known to have peaked in terms of transmission several weeks before we even did anything and the cake was baked the horses left the barn now he wants to shut down our lives and our liberty Mitt Romney is emblematic emblematic of the perfidy and corruption of our political class. Again, like every show, I want you guys to spread this show far and wide to all your friends, relatives, neighbors. I want you guys in, so that we can keep the lights on and I could continue disseminating the truth without being censored. Sign up, CRTV, I'm sorry, Blaze TV. Dot com forward slash CR. Promo code Daniel. Make sure you get promo code Daniel because that will give you $30 off, $69 for a full year of content. We have all of our show hosts on the same page here. Fox News is failing us. I mean, there's a couple of good hosts there, but you know, this is where you're going to get the truth. We are in an information war of our lifetime. Because information is going to drive people's behaviors. And people need to know the facts. It doesn't mean it's risk-free. It doesn't mean we don't do anything. I don't touch surfaces. I wash my hands a lot. I never used to do that. That's what helps. You got to know who is really at risk and who is mildly at risk and who is low risk and who is no risk. We got to get the truth out. I thank God for giving us all the opportunity together to have such a terrific week of disseminating so much written content and the shows. The breadth of of information that we put out is something I will cherish for the rest of my life. The degree of research we've done here, debunking all these lies. Next week, same time, same place, we're going to keep it going. Folks, don't let them take liberty. Let them pry it from our dying hands.